It's time to take care of yourself, so go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ARSENAL20 to support this podcast. That's 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code ARSENAL20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Hello and welcome back to the Fresh Arsenal podcast. Uh, I'm your host for today's show, PB, or AFC Pet, the other PB, the one that you usually are used to hearing, is actually in the, I guess, the guest seat today. The I'm still here, seat. guys, before you got excited. <laughs> yeah. Taking no a back yes, seat. No yes, yes, yes for today's show, uh, because Arsenal succumbed to their first draw since January, which was the Burnley at home game, which I was at. I had a great view of a Lacazette missing that sitter that Smithrow worked so hard to, to get. And I had a great view of Burnley wasting as much time as they humanly could and Arsenal struggled to break them down. But I mean, it's a weird feeling, isn't it, Ollie? Like, can you, you can hardly remember it, right? Yeah, I think it's been quite a good habit in general that we've got into not drawing games because obviously you know one point um compared to zero and three i think when we we lost that united game but then we won um a couple of games either side you know we made the point that it's, it's much more valuable to to slip up and lose but that win the majority of games um but obviously a point it's hard to know what to feel in general i mean it feels deflating I think everyone sort of feels a bit deflated just because you know I think I tweeted after the game tough away games when you're going for top four a draw isn't a bad result at all and whilst this has historically been a bit of a tough away game for us I didn't I just really didn't feel I think we both predicted a win here last week and especially the way we started Pat I just felt we were really in control I thought it was shaping to be a sort of Bournemouth Brentford type away performance which was brilliant I guess the difference in this game which we'll get to is we didn't get that second goal didn't sort of mm. really go for their throats and and end the game and we what really frustrated me in general was the chance we gave to them to to have any say in this game because I know this isn't the case but it did feel a bit like they were rolling over for us in that first mm. 30 minutes yeah it really did it really did I thought that they I mean, look, you can give a little bit of credit for them to them for going to a five at the back after 30 minutes, which I think nullified us a little bit. And it's weird, actually, that usually when we play teams that are three at the back, our central areas seem to come to life a lot more. Like if you remember Brentford, um, how well we did against their three at the back, in, in central areas with the, you know, Xhaka, Jesus um, and Vieira especially. And usually when we play against a four at the back system, we get in at the sides, like the, the kind of 1v1s that we create with Martinelli and Saka are, are really devastating. And we saw that from the off that basically every time Arsenal went down the sides, it looked like it could be a goal. And I think that we kind of basically got a bit too to after after those first 25 30 minutes started i know it's just really weird we just got a bit complacent started 
passing the ball really slowly. There, there, there was a few. I don't know. I don't know if you noticed this, and I'll, I'll give this question to you. Did you feel that there was a slight over arrogance when we went one 0 up? I remember Jesus breaking away with Martinelli on the left hand side, and then cutting back and kind of standing around doing the kind of Neymar type thing. And mm. I, I'm not not kind of blaming anyone there, but like, did you think that? that was the main thing that we kind of just thought it was one after one nil? I think it's been, you know, there's been a lot of talk around uh, playing the first team is in the, in the Europa League and whether fatigue and all of that. Another aspect that's maybe not been discussed is just the general, because I think most of us think against Bodo and against PSV, we've played in sort of second gear. Um, when you get used to playing in that gear, with the same players, you know, after changing a few, but but in general, keeping a similar team, have we got used to? Have we got stuck in that second gear a little bit, if you like, um, playing those games at a certain pace? Because I agree, yeah, we sort of, especially after we took the lead, it was, I think, for about ten minutes after we continued to be dominant. But yeah, we just slowed it down. Where I really think Arteta and the analysts will be looking at the game. And showing the players that we could have gone two, three, no up if we if we really accelerated into that, kill the game, rest your legs in the second half when they're not even when they haven't got a glimpse of hope of coming back into it. But it felt to me that this was coming a little bit. And you know, last week on the pod we weren't overly positive, particularly me. I think I was a little bit more downbeat, even though we'd we'd won against Leeds because it's three one nil wins in a row, and it felt like we got away with it a bit against Bodo. We got away with it a bit against Leeds. And unless we started to be more clinical as we were at the start of the season and, you know, really score goals in bunches, that this was going to happen. You're not going to keep winning games 1-0. We've talked about the, the getting PS- those margins big. I guess the PSV game as well, sport scoring one goal from, was it like 3.1 XG or something like that? Mm. I suppose that gave us another slightly different indicator that if you leave goals on the table, eventually it will come and bite you. Like, in, I, I guess in any footballing league, top level, especially I think at the Premier League, this is a bit different, that you're not always going to win games you're supposed to. You're not always going to pick up points that you're supposed to. So you basically have to do everything that's in your control possibly to kind of make it as likely as as you can to win. But I mean, before we go and, and break the game down a little bit, what were your thoughts? I, I guess, did you feel a bit more content or more frustrated after you saw the, the results around us? Obviously United and Chelsea drawing Spurs losing to, to Newcastle. I, I kind of fancied that to happen. Spurs have been riding their luck all season. And as soon as they, I think they rotated about four or five players mm. and um, just didn't look right from the off. And then obviously Liverpool losing in, in shock fashion at Forest away, conceding, I think, 2.2 XG, which is pretty nuts. Um, the most that Forest have accumulated. Uh, yeah. did, that, did that make you even more frustrated or a bit like, oh, OK, could it could have been worse? Yeah, look, I mean, there's there's different ways of looking at it. We said last week we knew Tottenham had a tough game against Newcastle, who could well be in the in the fight for top four as well. Um, Chelsea and United were playing each other. So we we knew there'd be something to cheer about this weekend, no matter how the game sort of went, because a couple of teams were going to have to drop points. So 
it's frustrating that you then don't take advantage of that by getting maximum yourself. But when you look at it, it's only Newcastle if we're going to count them, um, which, you know, the analytics suggest maybe we need to think about them seriously. Mm. But it's only them that did get ground on us, really, apart from Man City, of course. But we kind of all think they're going to, to finish ahead of us quite comfortably anyway. And the other thing I thought is, you know, Chelsea, one of our main rivals for top four, lost against Southampton, didn't they all drew, drew away. Mm. and lost the leads away. So when you compare like for like, you know, similar fixtures, four points from the last few games, particularly, you know, we've played not very well, and got four points. There's two ways of looking at that. You can say that's that's really good, that's really positive, that we're not played our best and we've got the four points, which I think is how we've got to take it and how the team have got to think about it. What we won't know until we see more games is whether that's, you know, not us just not playing particularly well. Is that how we're going to play in away games where we've got challenging opposition or we've played twice in a week or whatever? And we're not going to know that for a few more weeks and, and months even. But I hope we've just had not particularly a, a good couple of weeks for whatever reason. Um, we've had a pretty much full squad. I think we've really missed Sinchenko, but you're always going to have at least one person out. So I don't think we can have that as an excuse. You know, you look at Liverpool constantly missing three or four first teamers, it feels like, at the moment. And, yeah, I'm desperate for January to roll around as well um, because there's definitely definitely more we can add to this squad. But overall, I, I feel frustrated to answer your question in a, in a quicker way. But I'm trying to see the positives by looking at all those other angles i think there's two ways of framing it right if you get four points in every two away games in the premier league you're going to you're going to get really high up in the table and now at the same time i think there's two other ways of framing this and that to be in with a chance of winning the league which i personally i can't like look this might be the biggest opportunity arsenal ever get and you know city might win the league in only 87 points or whatever but to win the league you basically need about 20 between 27 to 29 wins and we're on nine um nine wins one draw one loss and so i I kind of think that again, like when you uh, when United came second under Mourinho, do you remember that? And they had a couple of losses in a row, and then went and won like two or three games, and when it lost a couple, blah blah blah, that they had a bit of an up and down season, and and ended up coming second. He basically said that there's not really any point draw drawing any matches. Um, because those three points are so valuable. And I'm not saying we should do that all the time. Actually, it's probably the reason that we lost at United. We should have probably just settled for the draw there and, and played our own football and not be too emotional. But also last season, I mean, so many games, Ollie, where we went so gung-ho in games that maybe we shouldn't have. And if we hadn't, we, we might have been able to pick up a few more points. I mean... Everton away is, is a really good example of that. And, and there's numerous other games last season where if we just kind of, you know, shut up shop and not, not gone for it, um, we might have basically been looking at Champions League football this season. But before we go into the game and maybe talk about some of the reasons we 
maybe played this badly, especially in the second half. Any thoughts on the lineup? I mean, I thought Tierney should have probably come in for this game. Yeah, I think general consensus is is that I think we've seen Tomiyasu do a great job against Liverpool for that very specific opponent in Salah and Liverpool. Um, but otherwise, we are playing four centre-backs, really, aren't we, with that back four? And not only that, we're playing... He is very two-footed, but it's it's the weakest of his three positions that he can he can do in those in that back four, um, Tommy Asu, I'm talking about. So I think Arteta's got himself stuck in a bit of a uh, schedule with him and Tierney, with what he's done in the Europa League. I don't think he would trust Tierney to start two games yet in a week. And I think just how how the games have fallen, Tierney starting at left-back in the Europa League games has meant that he's probably not wanted to in the league. Uh, but clearly he's not seen much in it because I think if he really thought Tierney was the better option, he'd sort that out and, and Tierney would be starting because the league takes priority. But it does feel like He's not too fussed on that. I think Zinchenko's clearly his first choice when he's fit. Mm. But yeah, he's rewarded the good performance against Liverpool. I think there's enough now there for him to rethink that, especially against Forest. You know, I don't want to see the four centre backs at the back against Forest because I think we no. You know, it worked against Liverpool because we knew we were gonna to have to do a lot of defending in those wide areas. So we didn't mind having that set up and we scored really early. So it all worked out really well for that game. But we've got a yeah, I I, I don't think Tierney's gonna be feeling great about himself at the moment. I think it's a bit of an indication of maybe his long term future as well, to be honest. Do you think that it's something to do with Southampton's only real threat being from long throws and, and um, corners. Because he did make a few very good... Uh, made a lot of good headers in the yeah. first half, yeah. yeah. And I think from a defensive point of view, he's brilliant. But, um, yeah, I just think we need to be braver with our with our selection against a team like Southampton. Oh, I think, listen, if Zinchenko's fit, I think there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that he starts this game mm-hmm. and the Leeds game, actually. Um I think the Liverpool one was very much something that Arteta had been planning for a while. But clearly with picking with picking Zinchenko against Spurs, I think Arteta has basically shown his hand now that in any game that Arsenal expect to have more than kind of 60% possession, he, he wants an, an extra player that can progress the ball, basically. Mm. And we've talked about it before now. I think he's really important for for how we set up, how it pushes Xhaka further forward for us to retain the ball in the opposition half better. Xhaka doing less of the stuff in his own half where he's potentially weaker and more of the the good stuff we've seen him do in recent games, scoring two goals since we last spoke, of course. Both the only goals we've scored come from Xhaka. Um, But yeah, I think he'll be desperate to get Sinchenko back. But equally, he needs to, as a manager, sort of find better solutions I guess you can't be wed to there's rewarding form but I think Tommy Assi would have understood if he's not in at left back every single game just because he played well against Salah yeah I, I also had a bit of concern about how many games Tommy Assi's played in a row now am I right in thinking he's played Bodo Leeds PSV and now 
Southampton all in a row. I, I kind of feel like, although he hasn't been loaded with that many minutes at the beginning of the season, to go from basically not playing any minutes to playing four games in 10 days felt, or how many days, 14 days, felt a, a big ask. And I thought Tierney looked okay against PSV. And even though he's done 90 minutes... I, yeah, I, to I be honest, I, I, I didn't think... Yeah, I didn't think Tierney played very well against PSV. So I, I didn't think it... I didn't think he'd made no, a he, huge he, he claim. Didn't, he, he didn't exactly make it easy for Arteta, did he? No, but I don't think it's necessarily an ability thing. As I say, I think Arteta got in that schedule of Tierney's yeah. not starting two games and that's how it's going to be. I think Tierney will start against PSV and then maybe if Sinchenko's fit for Forrest, he comes back for that game. But we've not heard a lot on that interview, have we? It's been a classic no. Arsenal one that... Yeah, it's not going to be long at all when suddenly... And then he's out for like gone. seven games, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, l- l- let's talk through the game and maybe some of the, the takes that have been coming out on Twitter about fatigue and, and all that kind of jazz. So, game starts, Arsenal basically get into this pattern of pinging it around, basically making Southampton go long, recovering the ball really quickly, getting it to par two. I thought probably his best half of the season, this first half. Mm. Um, maybe Followed this... by his worst. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, he did the opposite against Liverpool, right? He had his worst half of the season in the first half and then his best in the second half. Mm. And I just, you know, what must go on at half time with that bloke? I've got no idea. But we get into this kind of really nice rhythm, uh, Oli, where we're pinging it around in midfield. The ball's getting into Jesus really quickly. Odegaard's coming deep, playing nice passes and triangles with party. Ball's going out to Xhaka. Um, you know, Martinelli and Saka are doing that classic thing where they pin the fullbacks and then the central midfielders pass them the ball in that channel and they kind of spin off them, rotate inside, and you suddenly have like a three against two with the 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 two centre backs and the the striker in Jesus and Martinelli or, or Saka, whichever way. And it just looked like every attack could end up in a goal. And we finally did get that goal, a really nice move. Saka's feet, does a little nice back heel, gets a little touch, doesn't it, that actually puts it into Ben White's path a bit more in the sense that he can just sprint right onto it. And then a really, really good cutback by White, who, you know, um, is looking better and better in the attacking third pretty much every week, I'd say. Hmm. And look, I mean, if I told you that Granite Xhaka, if I told you last week on the podcast that Granite Xhaka would score two half-volley right-footed goals <laughs> in two games to put Arsenal 1-0 up, you'd probably think I'm crazy. So, I mean, it was a fantastic finish, wasn't it? Could have made a lot of money betting on it. Yeah, yeah you could have, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I know he does it in this game, but that's exactly what we need Zinchenko for in the build-up. I think we would have seen him in and around that box maybe not scoring again, but we've seen him get a lot of assists in that area of the box as well earlier in the season when we've been dominating games. He's, you know, it's habitual. He's getting into that habit. Um, it's a confidence thing as well, maybe shots and, and positions he's not taken up in the box. I was telling I was telling you off air that I've uh, similarly gone from not scoring goals at all to, to scoring some this season quite frequently. And, um, it definitely, once you start doing it, you start to sort of spot 
positions and areas in the box and, and take on things with, with the extra confidence you've got that maybe you, you wouldn't do before. And you can really see that in his game. And I think he's also recognised he's a leader. I don't know if you heard the the interview he did in the week when he talked about how previously there was lots and lots of experience around he talked about. So clearly he didn't see himself as one of those experienced players. You know, he arrived fairly young mm. and into a team with lots of personalities and, and leaders. And I feel like he's recognised he is... You know, he's the vice captain now, but alongside Partey, like the oldest guy in the team. And it just feels like he's taking that responsibility a little bit. And yeah, spotting those opportunities. I just don't think he goes into those zones. He wouldn't make that run onto the edge of the box. He'd wait outside, ready for it to drop back and and feed it to someone else. But it's great that he's sensing that because ultimately without his two goals in the last week, we we maybe lose and, and draw a game. So... You know, we'll get to the front three and particularly Jesus, but we need these goals from around the pitch. And I think Xhaka did his job on that front and, you know, had a fairly good game as well. Yeah, he was pretty good even when he got um, deeper and started partnering party in a more kind of classic double pivot. He, again, looked like one of the only Arsenal players in the second half that actually wanted the ball and passed it with any purpose. So Mm. I thought he was probably our best player again, apart from Gabriel, I think. Gabriel twice in a row now has probably been Arsenal's man of the match. Um, apart from that one moment of madness away to Leeds, he was pretty solid. Again, 10-headed clearances, I think I heard, uh, which is pretty amazing. And um, yeah, I think those two, Ben White, and uh, I'm struggling really to name any other standout performers. It was probably those three, really. Um, yeah, I think and- Gabriel deserves huge credit for this game. As you say, against Leeds, brilliant, but his doubt has sort of still pointed to what happened at the end, which maybe you can say, you know, it's up for debate if he's slightly silly with that, but no debate in this game. He, for for listeners who maybe have only caught the highlights, haven't seen the games, uh, has only seen the, the match of the day. I doubt they showed a few instances where he really um, assured the defence and actually bailed out Saliba a couple of times um, with a poor pass and things, things that maybe we'd, become used to Gabriel giving away he didn't really put a foot wrong for me in the game and um, yeah on the week he signed a new contract as well we should mention which is good because there was a lot of talk of him potentially moving in the summer wasn't there there's yeah a lot of big European clubs of interest in him so you know to protect his value and, and sign him up was really good to to see this week and good to see that he he backed it up with a good performance yeah, those Juventus rumours just never really went away, did they? Mm. Um, but very, very happy to see him um, flourishing, really, at Arsenal. He's he's had a really, really good season so far, I think, on the whole. Better away from home than he is at home, I'd say, so far. Although I thought he was pretty solid uh, against PSV in the week as well. Mm. So I, I guess then we have a couple of chances, Ollie. There's um, the one big Jesus chance where... And this is where I think framing this in a way, there's a lot of stack for Jesus in this game. I think a fair amount of it's warranted. He basically makes almost every chance that he's involved in, apart from one, which is the one where Odegaard swings out to the left. He cuts in, cuts in again, and then has a shot with his left that goes in the side netting. But before that, he has his biggest chance, which was he kind of comes back from an offside position, 
tackles uh, a defender. It goes into Odegaard's feet. Odegaard does this lovely, like, outside of the foot, scooped, like, almost like a layup, basketball layup, into Jesus' path, and he has to get kind of over it. He actually makes decent contact into the ground, and it's a pretty decent save, but from that range, Oli, it's a goal that he should, or a chance that he should score, and a chance that basically should put this game to bed and, and see all of the Southampton heads drop and make Hassan Tuttle start thinking about um, you know, his next the fixture next type game. of thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, look, I think we did kind of know this about Jesus when we bought him and, and maybe he was overperforming finishing-wise for the first few games and in pre-season in particular. But I think as you say, he he creates a lot of the chances himself through through hard work and movement and and winning the ball back himself. I think I read today he's got the second highest expected goal and assist after Haaland in the league yeah. this season. But he is tracking a couple of goals below his expected goals, which, as I say, has been the case pretty much every season for him. Um, so it's not great, and he hates to see a player without the confidence. Um, he said some words after the game that yeah, I think he said, I don't know why I'm not scoring or something, which, you know, let's hope he he doesn't lose the confidence he has because he was playing with a real swagger and yeah, some sort of arrogance at the start of the season as well. And, and honestly, on the ball, I think that was there. It was just basically in in the, the opposition to be box fair that it to wasn't him, there. Yeah, he was fighting and got rugby tackled <laughs> a few times and you know, all these things play into your mind when you get a chance as well. If you've been manhandled and you've sort of gone down, not got the penalty, and then you're getting touched again. And all these things are going through your head when you're about to strike the ball. You know, should I be going down? And I think they probably got in his head and somehow got away with it, like Coletico on the day. Um, well, well, let's talk about the refereeing a little bit and get that out of the way. Spend mm-hmm. about five minutes on it because honestly, mate, I think I said this at half time in our chat. I said, nothing makes me more disengaged with a football match than awful, awful officiating. I genuinely, I'm not even joking, even in our depths of two seasons ago, our absolute worst under Arteta, absolute worst under Emery, and our absolute worst at the end of Wenger's reign nothing makes me less engaged with the football match when I just see like consistently bad decisions being made. And I, again, this being a bit dramatic, but I was also almost like, I don't even know if I want to watch the second half because it was just, I, I don't think I've seen Arsenal be officiated in a worse manner during VAR. And it was really, really frustrating. I mean, a few instances off the top of my head, the Jesus rugby tackle that should be either a red card and a free kick or a penalty and a red card or a penalty and a yellow. I think it's one of those three things. It can't be none of them. And I mean, I was saying to some people on Twitter, Ollie, that the instance during this game, they didn't even get checked by VAR. Mm. And that to me is just just We didn't even see a replay on on TV of a couple of instances that happen in the box i think yeah i mean there's no point going through all that talked about on half at half time i think the main three for me is you know that that rugby tackle the punch 
uh, on, on Jay- the two the two punches on Jesus, which yeah. and again, like I, I mean that Lianco player who, who did the punch and the headbutt at the end, how he's got that far in football with the I temper and like, it. like that, yeah. I have no idea. If you're willing to punch player and t- try two punches and two headbutts, I don't know how he's a Premier League footballer because those type of players end up in non-league. Yeah, I mean, I was speaking to a Southampton fan and he was like, sometimes when you're down there, you need a bit of a nasty streak to to kind of get you any inch that you can. But I I genuinely couldn't believe that I was watching my TV and I'd watched an Arsenal player get punched and it wasn't even looked at. And you flash back to, yeah, you flash back to like Pepe's red card at Leeds where it's a tiny movement of heads. Oh, yeah. I mean, like Douglas, Douglas Louise the other day that got mm. overturned, actually. That was a t- tiny movement. Um, I just, I can't believe it. Like, I, you know, those are the most cut and dry red cards you can ever give. Like, um, and that's what's really frustrating. I think, you know, we'll get into the second half and I think we could have done more in this game for sure, but the only thing that makes this first half and maybe the entire game different to the Brentford and the Bournemouth games is the fact in those games we were 2-0 up within 28 minutes, 28, 29 minutes. And in this game, we only got the one goal. Had we got a penalty decision or you know a red card or whatever, it becomes another one of those comfortable away afternoons, I have no doubt. But we were all nervous at halftime, even when we were winning. We could see with the decisions that had happened. I think, you know, I said to you, let's hope we're, we're not talking about it at the end. Um, and we we just continue our dominance. But it felt like it was going to come back and haunt us. And, and it did in that second half. But yeah, I've said enough on, on my Twitter if you want to indulge in refereeing disgust. I mean, yeah, there was the Ben White penalty again that just wasn't, wasn't shown. None of these incidents were discussed at half time, by the way. I just, I can't believe how few, how, how little was made of it by the commentary. The, I mean, the, the double punch from Lianco is just like one of the, the thing is, Jesus goes down as well. And at no point does VAR think, oh, let's see why he's down, you know? Yeah. Um, Did you hear, as you said after the game as well, that apparently the ref said to him for the penalty, should have gone down. If you'd gone down, I could have given yeah. you a penalty. But, I mean, he did go down, but also, what? What? I mean, <laughs> it's just... I mean, it's the same referee that didn't give the penalty when, is it Tyrone Miggs picked up Saka? Um, so, look, that guy's clearly got... He doesn't the, like Saka. doesn't like Saka at all. At all, but clearly. Saka for diving, I mean, that is... It it's crazy a... we can't get yellow cards overturned for stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, the craziest bit about that was there's contact from two players. Like, he gets mm. pushed and then pulled by the player behind him. Like, I think, to be honest with you, he probably goes down a bit easy. If it's not a foul, fine. But to yeah. give a yellow and a free kick the other day was just the cra- crazy. And, and he basically, when it suited Southampton, it was a constant stoppage, right? Always a stoppage. When it was Arsenal, it was like, no, I, I'd be curious to see what the fouls two and four were because it was just it was just maddening and um yeah look it's one of those where we shouldn't be talking about referees because this game should be two nil in 20 minutes with a Mm. with a red card and it should be game over i'd be Uh, curious to see if he was in the crowd at anfield 89 (laughs) god um yeah i don't know he is uh he is he is a liverpool fan they say um 
I just I can't really find the words to describe how bad that performance was and you know we've seen other referees get kind of banished to the championship and you know, yeah, they've working. got to be looking at that performance. It would be I interesting think... to see what job he's on next because, yeah, as you say, there, <laughs> there was look, lots he's... of incidents. I don't think he's getting a blockbuster 4.30 Super Sunday anytime soon. Mm. Um, I, I really don't. But, look, at the same time, I think there's been a lot of discourse, which I think is probably a bit unfair either way. Like, a lot of people who are like, you know, it's all the ref's fault, blah, blah, which I kind of understand in the sense that any, I, I think it's one of those games where if all those incidents happen nine out of ten times, you're going to get a red and a penalty and you go and win 2-0 against ten men and the rest of the game's easy and you take Sakharov at 60 minutes and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, for me, I get more disgruntled when there's multiple incidents and there's multiple chances where Arsenal could have had an advantage rather than just one. Because I've, I've said this a few times now that we accumulated more XG in this game than we did the United one, Right. United mm. away. We had one penalty, like one refereeing decision go against us in that game. And we went berserk, right? We were like Old Trafford, referees being bought Old Trafford again, classic Arsenal. We always get done there um, by the refs, blah, blah. They beat our unbeaten streak, blah, blah. To me, when you have like three or four or five instances, that's where it gets even more frustrating. And actually, I think because we didn't keep the ball as well, didn't pass it as well, there was a bit more of a, you know, let's hammer the performance, which, by the way, I don't think was good. And we can talk about the second half now because I, I think, I don't even know when that kind of momentum shifted, Oli, but it, it just felt like from the off in that second half, we tried to press Bazunu and he made a couple of really good passes. And to me, one of the, the triggers was that rather than him going long and the ball just coming back towards Southampton every time, every second or third of possession, he managed to get out and Southampton managed to, you know, keep the ball a bit better, keep it away from their goal a bit better and take the sting out of the game a little bit. And we just, when we did get the ball, which was less frequently in the second half, we just could not keep it and we could not progress it. I thought that Saliba, Ben White um, in particular just could not progress the ball on the right-hand side anymore. Party just wasn't creating the right angles anymore. He got marked out of that second half and when he was on the ball, he was really, really bad. It kind of felt to me that the only two players that really wanted the ball in the second half were, were basically Xhaka and Odegaard. And I was kind of perplexed at this point by the lack of intensity, the complacency, the lack of, uh, you know, to, to coin a, not, not find a better phrase, but Xhaka's, Cajones comment at Newcastle away, it felt a bit like that where we just didn't want the ball and it was strange. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Mm. Yeah, I think it's kind of what we said at the start, that Southampton almost brought so little a threat that we were cruising a bit and we didn't feel like we needed to work particularly hard for this win. You know, we've seen the intensity and the level we can play at against Liverpool and Tottenham at home with the crowd behind us, but 
looked like a totally different team to that in the second half. Um, just looking at the stats, so our, our attacking third passes in the first half was 64. And not that much different in the second half, 52. The, the big issue was the shots. I mean, we didn't get a shot on target in the second half and um, only four shots altogether. So we were outshot by Southampton in the second half. So I haven't re-watched it, but I mean, that sort of tells us that the front three in general weren't doing an awful lot. We saw Martinelli subbed, um, Erdegaard subbed. What were your take on those subs? I mean, I thought Odegaard was our best player. Mm, I really I, didn't understand because <sighs> I heard Elliot on the Arsenal Vision podcast say he had an mediocre game. <laughs> I just I couldn't believe like no. two key passes, uh, four key passes, two big chances created, scored that goal that was disallowed. I just I, I just feel that, and I'll go as far as saying when he doesn't play, our attack does not function properly. And in that mm-hmm. last 15 minutes, including at a time, the attack did not function properly. I know Vieira had a disastrous cameo, right? It was the worst 10 minutes of his, probably his career, he'll tell you. But I thought Odegaard was one-off, if not the only ways we were going to get in. Get yeah, it felt that me. way, right? I mean, he put he put um, Jesus through in the first half with that, with that lob, as you say, put him through on goal in the second half. Um, he had the yeah the goal that just went out. He had a shot he should have done better with, but you know I think you've got to look when you're trying to get a goal. Who's getting into those positions that could create a goal? It's better than someone who might take their chances but barely ever has them. Um, so he, unless he's managing an injury of, of some some kind, I I didn't understand that sub, particularly when it's for Vieira. Um, I thought when I saw Vieira warming up to come on, I felt like, you know, we haven't drawn a game since January for a reason. And it felt like maybe Arteta was going to take party off, who we saw deteriorate in the second half. And we've seen him not complete 90 minutes a lot. So we know he has injury issues. I felt like Arteta was going to maybe roll the dice and do a Vieira for party, drop Shaka a little bit and see what we see if we could win the game. But when I saw Odegaard coming off, yeah, really questionable. And Martinelli, you know... He looked a... quite surprised, didn't he, Odegaard, that he was coming off? Mm. Yeah. Martinelli, I mean, tells us that the the front three didn't have a, a brilliant second half, but he had a couple of runs. I mean, if someone's going to get you something out of, out of nowhere, Martinelli's likely to be influential in that as well. So... It felt like he didn't want to take Jesus off after he'd missed a couple of chances and, you know, maybe that's the right decision. But And you feel like you need to get Eddie on when you need a goal. But... Yeah, I mean, look, like, the Eddie thing, I would have liked to either change Jesus. The shape? Yeah, either Jesus on the left or do what we did at Fulham at home, which was, well, what we ended up doing was not really playing with a, with a left-back or a right-back. I don't know what, which one we did in the end, but we went to, like, a... Three, five, two, and you've got the players on the pitch to do it, right? Because yeah, when you're exactly. playing four centre backs, you just have to take one of them off and play Saka at right wing back, Tierney at left wing back. Then you've got your three, two sitting midfielders in Shaka and Party, play Odegaard in behind, and then play Eddie and um, Jesus up top. And I think that was the move. Even so, I did think that one of the reasons that Martinelli had to dribble so much is that basically he was occupying that entire. 
those entire left two lanes sometimes mm. on his own. And so like there was a few times he'd cut in and he'd look up and the reason he'd keep dribbling is because Xhaka wasn't there because he was deeper trying to progress the ball because party couldn't do anything in the second half. Um, and so he had to basically just keep keep dribbling. And there's obviously no overlapping run because Tommy Asu's never going to overlap or I think he overlapped like two or three times in that game. I would have maybe liked to see him come on, uh, stay on and play with Tierney a little bit. Um, and now does that mean that you take off Saka, which is tough, but, you know, it wasn't his best day at the office. I, I just thought that... I think Southampton were so poor, you could have... And the crowd, I, I've never heard such a quiet away ground yeah. um, in the first half. That's why, that's why I'm so frustrated. You know, if it was an eight o'clock under the lights, it was absolutely booming. Yeah. We got an early goal and we battled to a point. It's different, but this just felt like it was really there for us. And I think, you know, you could have done the the three five two thing with Saka as a sort of, you know, winger, but wing back position. Tommy Asu was the right centre back. And that's that's fine on that side. And then the same with sort of Martinelli and Gabriel. I, I think if we went for it and started pushing them back, they would have retreated and been hanging yeah. on for a point. But yeah, the changes I think are, are questionable. Um and you know, if there's one thing that Arteta has not overcome this season in, in many of the positive things he has shown that he can do. And, you know, we're still top of the league. We're not being really negative here, but in this game and in the game at Old Trafford, the the subs were questionable, weren't they? Yeah, I mean, to his credit, I guess you'd say that the ones against Fulham worked really well. Mm. I thought his Liverpool substitutions were quite good. Um do you think if 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 we'd won at United with those subs, Vieira comes on for Partey yesterday, for example, or or <sighs> someone else? I but, okay. So so here's here's my take basically on those last twenty minutes. I think that after the United game, Arteta has basically looked at the team and said, "This team." isn't quite ready yet to basically like like the United Ferguson teams who they'd be two nil down and they'd win games four, two, or they'd be one, one, five minutes to go and they'd win three, one. I don't really think we're that there yet where basically we can just put unrelenting pressure on teams for a long, long period of time. Maybe it's a fatigue thing. Maybe it's a physicality thing. I think it's a bit of a mentality thing. The other thing is, like, I think they were just terrified to lose. Like I said to you, Ollie, off air, but that last 20 minutes, 30 minutes maybe even, felt so much like the Everton game to me away from home last season, where the game got so just disjointed. There were so many open spaces. We absolutely lost our heads in the spacing in terms of how close party Xhaka and Odegaard were to each other, how close and unified the front three were how much how much they rotated even the back four i mean you look at the goal they're not in line you know saliba's up white back down gabriel and um i mean tomias is square it's just all a bit messy and i i really think that there is some push internally or maybe it's from Arteta himself, or maybe it's the players themselves, where sometimes when you go and accumulate 2xG away from home and 
all the refereeing decisions go against you and you're 1-1, maybe it's better just not to lose. And if we'd done that a couple of times last season, we might be playing Champions League football. I do think there's something to that, which is why maybe we didn't go as gung-ho in those final 15 minutes. Yeah, possibly. I think, as I said at the start, until we see more games, we don't know if it's a, a sort of quality experience issue or something we're trying to do. I've just seen a really interesting graph from Scott on Twitter at oh, that crab who yeah, that was really some good. brilliant stuff. Um, and it's a game state sort of tiers and an XG in particular game states. And for those of you who don't know game states, obviously when you're winning game state, you might play slightly different to when you're losing or when the the game is uh, even, as I said. So in his first graph, he's got even game state. Arsenal and Man City are right away from everyone else, right at the top, essentially, of this graph, miles away from everyone else, looking like complete head-to-head title challengers. No one's going to touch them. No one even worth mentioning anywhere near them. Mm. In the second one, it's it's game states when one goal ahead. And Brentford are actually up at the top with Man City. But Man City are really, really good at maintaining exactly how they want to play yeah. and their quality when they're ahead. And that's something we've not got to yet because we are right in the middle with several other teams. You know, we're probably, there's two axes here, but we're probably seventh or eighth best on this on this chart. So that... I think that shows really well the issue we've got, or maybe not the issue, but the next evolution for this team. And this is such a young team and a team of less quality than Manchester City. And I think, you know, where we've got to grow with these young players is get them in a position to to keep playing their football when under pressure, particularly in away games when you're ahead. And I think we've seen that with our eyes and, and the data really backs that up with those charts as well. So... Yeah, hopefully it comes with age, with a couple of extra quality players that come in. But I guess what worries me most is players like Partey, who are those experienced, played seasoned international Champions League, really falling apart in the second half. And that's why if we do one thing in January, it's got to be a number six that can not only bridge the gap between him and El Nene or Lukonga, I think it Mm. needs to be a player who can come in and take that position potentially because Partey's going to have injuries. He's, you know, in the eve of his career, he's coming up to. And Partey needs to know if he has such inconsistencies within games, he's got a player who can take his position. Because right now, I think he knows that there's no chance of that, really, unless he's playing absolutely horrifically. But I mean, even last season, he had spells when he was really, really bad and, and stayed in the team. So... We've got competition in some areas. You know, we've seen that in the full-back positions that we've talked about a lot, but there's definitely more that we need to do in the market when that rolls around to to put pressure on players like Partey and, and our wide forwards as well so that we've got some, some variety in competition there. Yeah, 100%. Um, I... I feel like firepower is an area that needs to be redressed, addressed as well um, in, in January because we are, we're probably going to be about 10, 15 goals away from Man City when all, sudden, when all is said and done. Yeah, um, and it wasn't a one-off on Sunday. We, we As I say, yeah. we won the previous three games 1-0. Yeah. 
And I think Jesus, when he's red hot, finishing and fully fit and at his best, really made us click. We've seen us score three, four goals in games when he's been right at his best, but we can't be completely reliant on one player yeah, being at his best all the time for us to score more than one goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. everyone's got to chip in. But also, yeah, I think the Jesus thing's really interesting because when he runs a lot, he's exerted all his energy and then it, it looks like the finish is lacking in energy. Like he, he, you know, nutmegs a player, goes around two or three, and then he's already been bashed twice, three times by defenders, and he's he's one-on-one, and then he just can't dig it out and find the power in his legs to, to kick it hard enough to get it past the keeper, which, hope, I mean, look, he's still young, like he's 25, 26, so he's, he's, he's hopefully going to improve in that aspect of his game. But mm. one of the things that has come out of this game is rotation and fatigue, Ollie. And I was looking at some of the stats on FB ref in terms of um, uh, playing time uh, for Arsenal players this season. Arsenal have only got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six players all outfield who have played more than a thousand minutes this season. That's uh, Big Gabriel, Xhaka, uh, Saka, Martinelli, Saliba and Jesus and then uh, White Odegaard come in at just under a thousand minutes. If you go over to Spurs they've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players on a thousand minutes or more and they, uh, pl- the six most uh, played players have all played more minutes than Arsenal's players. Um, that's just Premier League. That's all competitions. All competitions. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're the higher, higher intensity games as well exactly. in the Champions League. And also remember that Arsenal have played one less or fewer Premier League games than most most teams as well. Um, going over to City, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players with over a thousand minutes, um, and then two at nine hundred minutes in Phil Foden and Gundogan. Manchester United, one, two, three, four, five, uh, five players over, over a thousand minutes and two over 900 in Rashford and uh, Sancho. And then if you look at Anthony as well, he's played 780 minutes, um, 10 starts in basically every game that he could play. Uh, and then Liverpool, who have had loads of injury troubles, have got you know Van Dijk off the back of a uh, uh, an ACL playing every single minute of the competition. Salah, Fabinho, Trent all playing over a thousand minutes, and then they've got another three players with over nine hundred minutes. Um, so my thing is, Arsenal's players haven't been subjected to that big a load minute-wise, and that's just in competition for their clubs. If I go down that list, Gabriel was in Mykonos for two weeks during the last international break. So was Martinelli and, and Jesus. So three of our players that have played more than a thousand minutes basically had a two-week break only three weeks ago, right? Xhaka, Saka, Saliba and Ramsdale went away. They're the other big minuters. But again, you know, Ramsdale didn't play a minute. Ben White, who's played the mo- eighth most minutes for Arsenal this season with 985. He didn't go away with England. Um you know, party got with, withdrawn after his one one game. Um, I I find it hard to believe that this team can be so gassed after such a short period of time. And maybe it is all these games in a in a short period of time. But is I, that I part really... of the issue though? Is <sighs> that the players I... aren't used to it? Because Arteta talked about 
he was questioned on it after the PSV game, wasn't he? And he sort of said, these players need to get used to playing 70 games a season. Yeah. Because that's what the top level football is. And, you know, you've got to remember, you look through our team, Saliba played a lot last year on loan. But apart from that, and Jesus, well, no, Jesus didn't play regularly for City. So I'll count a minute. 2,400 minutes, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, apart from Saliba, no one in that team has been used to playing two games last season. And then before that, you know, they haven't been playing Champions League level. So I think it's really hard for us as fans to say players are fatigued. And I say it quite often, we don't have the data on the players. We, I don't think we can make these decisions. And there's going to be outroar one way or another on Thursday when we go to PSV. I'm fully expecting players who people don't want to be there to be there because I think Arteta clearly likes to take the whole group pretty much unless he's particularly worried about a player. Yeah. At least to the game. And history tells us he'll go stronger than you think he's going to go. So, yeah, I I think there were some signs of fatigue. But, like, I, I watched the United game, right? They've played Newcastle, Spurs and Chelsea in a row, right? We will... Like, we've got no games that are that intense in a row, basically. Apart no, from I don't... Spurs. Yeah. I just... I, I, I get the getting used to it thing, but... Yeah, may, maybe it is getting I used to it. I think it's our own issue. It's not something we can, we can moan about. I think yeah. it's our own issue, A, because we haven't got much depth. So if someone is struggling... We have we can't afford, you know, we'd rather play Saka at probably anything above sixty percent than anyone else because mm. of our squad for a start. And maybe that's happening with a few players. You know, we talked about Erdegaard being subbed, maybe something's going on there. But yeah, I think it's something the club need to figure out. It might not be fatigue, but when I see this team play at such a level from one half to another. Uh, two weeks in a row, really, with leads and, you know, performance to performance. There's something that the team behind the scenes need to figure out. And I'm not, I'm not going to speculate if it's fatigue or if it's players not used to it or whatever, but I'm sure they know why there's a drop-off and all the statistics show that. But I think a lot of it is mentally as well, as we've just seen, well, as I talked about with Scott's graph, you know, that we play completely different when we're ahead. So that points to a mental thing to me as well. So, yeah, I think maybe there's some mental fatigue there rather than physical fatigue. Like, I can't for the life of me think that especially... mental scars from, from you know, we talked about you said, please, the players were like, we really don't want to lose the game, thinking yeah. about the Everton game, thinking about, yeah, 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 you the know, United, United. season, yeah. Um, sports psychologists I... get them in. Yeah, yeah, get them in. I, I, yeah, I just can't see. I mean, Jesus, Gabriel, and Martinelli have all had two weeks off recently. I, there's no way that they can be absolutely like completely shattered. And I saw a few people saying we should have rotated heavier. But like the worst thing that this club could do from a Europa League perspective is come second. To come second and then have to play Champions League opposition on a Thursday before your league game on a Sunday is I mean, diabolical, even yeah. if it happens twice, right? So 
I mean, I what would you, you do are... this Thursday then? Because well, I was go- I, I was going to ask you that question actually, but before that, <laughs> I was going to say, I bet if you'd asked Arteta, would you rather come first and draw at Southampton or come second, win at Southampton, but have to play the last thirty-two? You'd definitely go the former route, wouldn't you? And again, it's not as cut and dry as that. You want all the points that you possibly can, but I do think there is something where it's kind of like, well. If we can get through this period and we don't have to play in the last 32, it's it's a it's a very good thing. I help you, yeah, win more points in that situation. And just for those who don't know, uh, if we come second in the Europa League group, it means we have to play another two-legged round in the knockouts against the Champions League team that drops out as well, isn't it? So, um, yeah, it's definitely one we want to avoid. And two games left for us on the Europa League. We've got PSV away on Thursday. We then have Forest at home, Zurich at home and Chelsea away, Brighton at home in the Cup and Wolves away and then it's the World Cup. So there's some tricky games there, particularly if Wolves get a new manager around that time. Who knows what we're going to face? Obviously, Chelsea away, we know will be a tough game, but not a lot of travelling after the PSV game. Mm. And I think a chance for us to get back on track, it's fair to say against Forest at home, despite them beating Liverpool. I think, you know, I'll back us against anyone at home. We've just beaten Spurs and Liverpool at home, so you would hope we uh, could get the points on Sunday. But it's an intriguing thing for the lineup on PSV that you were yeah. going to ask me and I was going to ask you because <laughs> uh, we still need to, to get that first place. We still need to either draw against PSV or beat Zurich. I think we can put pretty much any team against Zurich at home and win. But from Have a momentum in the Swiss Super League, yeah. <laughs> don't know. They're near the bottom. But from for me and how I think Arteta is going to think about it as well is more a momentum thing. If we draw against Southampton, go to PSV and lose in the week, I don't think he's going to want to take that route. I, th- I think he's going to put quite a strong team out still because I think he'll think Forest we can get through at home. He can then fully rotate against Zurich completely, you know, not play any of the players that play against Chelsea, give them a full week off. Yeah. I think he'll see that the t- that's the time for the rest. I think we'll see I think we'll know, five see... changes. I think we'll see... if I had to guess, I think we'll see Turner, Cedric... Saliba holding Tierney. I think Saliba and Gabriel have alternated, right? And also, Saliba's on four yellow cards in the Premier League, right? So, I guess if you play him in this game and he gets a yellow at Forest, which would be really annoying, he misses the Chelsea game, you won't want to play him against Zurich. So, can you not play him for that long? Maybe you, you play him as a hedge. And also, as you mentioned, he's one of the few players that... You know, played 45, 50 games last season. Mm. I then think it will be Lacombe, Vieira and Xhaka again, that trio. But I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised to see Odegaard start in this one. I don't know why. I've got a feeling um, maybe play Odegaard and then Vieira on the right. Um, mm. And then you're looking at, she- not Jesus, Nketiah and... One of Nelson and Marquinhos, and based on the last few sub appearances and starts, probably Nelson, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't think that could be too far from what we see. I think Vieira on the right that you touched on is worth us considering because 
we're going to need to use him. You know, he's one of the, we talked about, we've got a very good 15 or so in the squad currently. And after that, it falls away. He's one of those 15. Yeah. And we need to be able to bring him on against Southampton, not be scared he's going to fail to make simple passes and get pushed off the ball like he was in, at the weekend. Whether that means in particularly games like that, he needs to come on in a wide area instead of in the middle. I think, you know, we've seen it with a lot of young players and players who aren't the best physically, at least initially playing in more wide areas. And it's not a position he's never played in. He's played quite a lot of minutes from the right. And it's a position we don't have a, a clear backup to Saka in because Marquinhos not even getting on ahead of Nelson at the moment um, after his good game against Zurich. So I think it's worth us seeing Vieira a little bit on the right. And I think this would be a good game to do it. Um, we saw him in the under-23s, interestingly, when Smith-Rowe was fit. They both played, I watched the game, Vieira played on the right and Smith-Rowe played through the middle. So perhaps Vieira's getting more time there because there's no Smith-Rowe and they, they're wanting to manage the minutes of Erdegaard for some reason. Again, that we... We just haven't speculated about because we don't have the data. Maybe something's telling them that Erdegaard's at risk. I don't know. But he doesn't seem it, does he? Like, but he how, did have that annoyed. issue, didn't he, before the first international break? He, he did, but it was small enough that he then went and played both games for Norway, right? So hmm. it was. Well, I think it was a knock, wasn't it? It was. Like we a... probably wouldn't want him to have done that. I don't think he played for Arsenal at all before he went away. He hadn't played to get the Brentford away game. And then yeah. he went and played both the international games. I, I, I just think Arteta's made him captain. He, I, I think from memory, you know, in the seasons he's been with us before, quite often made it to the end of games. And we've not seen that a couple of times this season. So, again, we're just speculating. But... I, I was very surprised he came off. And... But these, are, Yeah, and so am I. And these are professional coaches who watch him every day so most of the time when i i don't understand the decision i just think we're so uninformed compared yeah. to the people yeah, doing yeah, yeah, it yeah. so there's I almost got to be an explanation for it let's just hope that saka doesn't start on thursday yeah exactly and maybe marquinhos but yeah i think it's worth us seeing Vieira in a wide area build his confidence up i think he needs to get on the ball a bit more and feel comfortable in this team. Um, and that's a good game for him to do so. Yeah, I think... The other thing is, like, one of the other reasons I think Saliba might play is I think this is now a couple games in a row that he's really struggled. And against Forrest, you know, he can probably be very average and will still win, right? But if we want to go and beat Palace away, Brentford away, you know, beat Liverpool at home and Spurs at home, which he was just great in both of those. He he does very much stand up and 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 make himself counted for those bigger games. I think I don't really have worries about him in the Chelsea away game, but that's two games in a row now where he's you know he's given the ball away, he's looked a bit flustered, he's given a penalty away. Um, I think that he might want to play him just to get that confidence back a little bit um, on Thursday. And look, like we need to get a point. Um, we beat PSV very comfortably, even if it was 1-0. They just got beat by Groningen 4-2 away from home. 
uh, on the weekend, so they aren't as confident as they usually are. And hopefully we can go and get the job done. But you know, if we don't, Zurich have yet to win a game in the Swiss League, and they are 13 games in. So if we play Zurich at home and literally play Gunnasaurus up top and don't win, we probably deserve to be playing in the last 32. Yeah, and, you know, at this stage, I have no doubt we're, we're winning the group because yeah. I think we win the Zurich game no matter what. As I say, I think it's more of a a momentum thing. Artes yeah. is really big on the momentum and um, I think he'll want to go and win the game. And I think we'll see... Yeah, similar strength team to you said, maybe even slightly stronger, maybe Odegaard and Xhaka. Had a Lukonga Vieira on the right. Um, I think he'll just want to not start Jesus Partey and maybe White. But apart from that, I think we could see anyone. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't even be surprised if it's Gabriel and Saliba. Like, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see anything, really. Well, the other side of it is we need to get used to the the knockout stages where those players are going to have to start playing in European away games. So is he going to want to get that experience in that partnership and in their minds? Yeah. And and that's one of the reasons where I was like, (sighs) I know Turner pre-World World Cup wants the minutes, but just chucking Ramsdale into a last 16 European game. Well, I'm I'm sure he'll be fine. As someone that's never, ever played in European away game. Um, I'm not saying he's going to start on Thursday, but, I mean, if but Turner that's... puts in another couple of good performances, though, do you think he even makes that change at last 16? I think there's enough precedent with Arteta to say, yes, he will. He did it Even if Leno. Turner plays flawless and, and yeah. Ramsdale continues to collapse yeah, when the ball like... rolls past him down the middle of the <laughs> uh, But I've, I've seen those. I think it's so harsh. It wasn't his fault, was it? Um, yeah, and he was great against Leeds. I'm, I'm, I've not got anything against him, but it will be interesting because Turner's done really well the last couple of games. I think he'll get tested against PSV on Thursday and he is, more I, I so think it... than ever. I, I think it depends because the, the last 16 is in like March, right? It's not until March, so he's going to have the cup games, Turner. I, I personally, if you're Aaron Ramsdale, you're not, you're not wanting that, right? You're, you're re- you really want to play in Europe. That's why you moved to Arsenal. So, mm. I, I would be shocked if he plays the knockout games. I think he's done really well, bar the first game maybe. But um, look, I, I think that. You get to the last sixteen. You want your best team out there. And look, we're going to play. Like, I don't want. I don't want Matt Turner playing against Barcelona. I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> however good he's been, I don't want Matt Turner passing the ball out of the new camp. Like, it's it's actually quite a horrifying proposition. In, a lot of things could head. happen before then, including a Ramsdale injury, and we don't have a choice. Sure. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You never yeah. know, right? Let's see. Let's see. But we'll wrap it up, won't we? Uh, yeah bit longer than we anticipated but you can find as usual uh, <laughs> you can find me at afc pet on twitter uh, you can find uh ollie on ollie price Bates yeah on twitter at ollie you price can find us at fresh arsenal pod uh check us out subscribe leave review uh, preferably four or five stars not one star with some glowing compliments as we've seen before greg cough cough and uh, we'll have more fresh arsenal podcast for you next week thank you very much Oh, 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 oh,
Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.